Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Mortgage rates have been hovering at or near record lows for the past several months. Have you taken advantage of refinancing? Many people have misconceptions as to whether or not that's even worth considering. Are you even able to under today's stricter guidelines and stricter rules for acquiring a loan? Joining us today is Brian Wickert, president of AccuNet Mortgage, a mortgage banking firm based in southeastern Wisconsin, who was just recently quoted in the Wall Street Journal regarding acquiring a mortgage for a new home purchase or refinancing. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show again, fellas. Hey, Brian, I've been seeing rates are hitting at or near record lows again, and i got to believe that should have some impact with the housing market. How do you see home buying throughout the country right now? Well, I think it's really a patchwork, and what I always like to remind people of is that there is no such thing as a national housing market. What's happening in Southern California is completely different than what's happening, let's say, in Chicago or in Milwaukee, and then even when you get into a metropolitan area. Large homes, let's say over 600,000, is a completely different kettle of fish than homes, let's say, under 100,000. So the bottom line is that the low interest rates in general, are stimulating more home buying. And the other really good news for sellers is that there's a lot less inventory on the market now than there was a year ago. So all of that seems to be motivating buyers to get out there and finally take action because they've been sitting on the sidelines for really a long time. In general, having some fear and trepidation about the job market and the economy. But now a lot of markets are experiencing unbelievable affordability caused by the low rates and drops in home values. And that's making buyers get off the fence and getting out there and actually writing some offers. Now, we are hearing about one challenge, and that's reading and hearing about, of course, how tough it might be to qualify for a mortgage today as compared to maybe three or four years ago. So just how tough is it? It is different. And I would say that the pendulum in 2005 and 2006 had swung too far in the direction of being liberal. Back in those days, just to remind everybody, it was possible to get a Fannie Mae guaranteed loan that also had private mortgage insurance on it with 0% down payment. Think about that. You could walk in and you could even have the seller pay for your closing costs. So the borrower had absolutely zero skin in the game. That was also the era when we had a lot of mortgage companies out there. My company, Acunet Mortgage, was not one of them. But you had many companies out there giving loans to people where they did not have to document their income. And what we had then, just think about this, it's the old law of supply and demand. We had overstimulated the demand for properties by making it possible for people who couldn't qualify for a loan before to now all of a sudden be able to buy a house. So naturally that ran up the prices for homes. If we're talking about someone that's in the market to buy a home, then this surprises a lot of people. But when you write a contract to buy a home and then you go in to apply for a loan, the lender is required to give the sales contract with the purchase price. They have to give that document to the appraiser. So when the appraiser goes out and appraises a home on a purchase transaction, they already know what the buyer and seller have agreed to. And the reason why that is done, even though you could make an argument that that's not very smart, but the reason that it's done is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who are the two government-sponsored enterprises that buy about 80% of the loans that are done in America. 
And by the way, they are in government receivership, which means that they were taken over by the government in 2008 because of all the bad loans that they had written. But they do 80% of the loans, so they make all the rules. And the reason why they want the appraiser to know all the details of the transactions is in case there are any, oh, let's call it undue inducements in the contract. For example, if you said, and I'm going to throw in my 1969 Mustang convertible if you buy my house, the appraiser needs to know that because he's going to subtract the value of the red convertible from the price of the house. On an appraisal, the bottom line is when you're buying a house, usually the appraisal is not a big deal. It can be in some markets, and I've read articles in various papers about how that has scuttled transactions because the appraisal comes in lower than the agreed-upon sales price. But where there is a real obstacle in today's market relative to the appraisal in particular is with refinancing. We just had a refinance come through our office where in 2009, and this is a single-family house in the city of Chicago, the home appraised for 369000 Now, in 2012, that home is appraising for 220000 that is a shocking drop in the value. And of course, when that happens, that can put a big crimp in the refinancing process, really makes it impossible to do. Brian, you were just quoted in the Wall Street Journal about how long it's taking to refinance. So I would imagine some of that is the new rules, but you have not only the new rules, but now you have these low interest rates. What's happening that these bigger banks are really getting bogged down and it's just taking forever? And are smaller companies such as yourself, mortgage brokers or mortgage bankers, are they able to create some efficiencies and operate a little quicker than what we're hearing the banks are doing right now? Definitely. And let's just kind of lay the groundwork. There are three broad categories of companies where you can go to get your mortgage loan. One would be a bank, and that could be your local community bank or it could be a large national bank. The second place you can go is to an independent mortgage banker like Accident Mortgage. That company is going to take care of originating your loan, getting it closed, but then it's going to transfer the servicing to typically a larger national bank. And then the third category, which has really fallen in popularity, is a mortgage broker. And in the case of a mortgage broker, they're not going to get as good a pricing on the money as an independent larger mortgage banker like our company. But they will as well take care of originating the loan and then close the loan using one of the bigger banks' money at the closing table. Ultimately, most of the loans, I think the figure is about 55% of the mortgage loans in America are serviced by the four largest banks in America. And so what you have are these different origination entities. It might be the banks themselves. It could be community banks, independent mortgage bankers like Accident or small mortgage brokers are ultimately feeding a lot of loan servicing business. That's the company that's collecting monthly payments. And that's concentrated in these four big banks. Unfortunately, a lot of consumers think, hey, if I'm sending my monthly payment to XYZ big bank, well, I should probably go there for my refinance because wouldn't it be easier? But what they're finding, as the Wall Street Journal article pointed out, the average time it's taking that big bank to process a refinance loan is 70 days, 7-0. At more nimble companies like Accident Mortgage, our average time to get a loan closed on a refinance is 38 days, which does a couple of things. A, it doesn't drag out the process, and B, it allows us to get better pricing because, like in many businesses, time is money. 
now, Brian, as you were discussing that process, I don't think a lot of people are totally in tune with how this all works. You talked about the servicing bank. I think people are used to the old days where they took out a loan at their local bank, and that loan was done by the bank. It was serviced by the bank. And I think there's a big misconception that that's still the way it's done. And they get a little upset, and they don't really understand how this works where the servicing is sold to another bank or transferred to another bank. Can you maybe explain that a little bit? That's a really good question. And it comes into play especially with the advent and all the talk about the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP, the acronym when you spell it out. Here's how it works. Let's just take an easy example of a person who gets a 4% 30-year fixed rate mortgage. They know that hey, that's the interest rate I'm going to pay. Now, they may have gotten that 4% loan at a big national bank. They might have gotten it from an independent company like ours, Acunet Mortgage, although maybe now is a good time to point out Acunet Mortgage only does loans in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, and Florida. But let's say we did that loan and we transferred the servicing to a big bank like Wells Fargo. Here's how that 4% interest gets divided up every month. The servicing big bank only gets to keep one quarter of 1%, which is shocking to many people because I think if you asked 100 people on the street, half of them would think that the big bank is getting the whole 4% interest. But that's not the way it works in the modern mortgage world. The servicing lender gets to keep a quarter percent. Then Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, who are these big government-sponsored enterprises whose job it is to guarantee loans against the financial risk and loss of foreclosure, they get about another quarter percent for providing the guarantee. If you get out your calculator or your abacus, there's 3.5% left over. The entity that gets that 3.5% might be the State Teachers Pension Fund of Des Moines, Iowa, or it could be the Vanguard Mutual Fund on Massachusetts, who bought the bundle of mortgages called a mortgage-backed security, of which that loan was a part. So you have three people at the trough making money off of this loan. The servicer getting a quarter percent, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac getting a quarter percent for guaranteeing the loan, and then the real owner of the loan is some faceless entity out there who invested their money in order to get the 3.5% yield. Does that help? No question. I think that really gives people a perspective of how the dynamic has changed. As Jim Wells said, most people think, I deposit my paycheck at the local bank, they'll take care of all my mortgages, everything else. Well, the world has definitely changed. Brian, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, let's get back to kind of the mortgage rates and what things are driving mortgage rates and where you see they are headed from here. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services, Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Just for a moment, try to imagine you're dead. You think that's hard? Try this. You're dead and you don't have life insurance. What would happen to your family's home, to your family's finances, or your family's future? Now here's a thought to put your mind at ease. Life insurance takes care of things should anything happen to you. 
Death may be hard to imagine, but without life insurance, it's simply unthinkable. Welcome back. As we continue our conversation today with Brian Wickard, who's the president of Acunet Mortgage, and we're talking about the current housing market and mortgage market. So let's talk about interest rates again and mortgage rates. What factors are driving mortgage rates and where are they headed from here? So put on your psychics cap. <laughs> you bet. Let me get my crystal ball out of my desk drawer here and wipe it off. I think it's important. Most people listening to the show probably have heard, hey, 30-year fixed rate mortgages are under 4%. And if you have all the right attributes, which let me quickly recap those, if you have 25% equity in your house, if you have good credit, which means a FICO score of 740 and up, if you're willing to escrow for taxes and you don't have a second mortgage, and we're talking about your primary residence, and the loan amount is under $417,000, that's a true statement. The rate on a 30-year fix would be under 4%. That's in contrast to just a year ago, where rates were more like 4.7 or 4.8. So how did they drop so much? There have really been two primary drivers over the last couple of years, and they wax and wane depending on which one's getting the headlines. The two factors are what's going on in Europe, primarily with the countries like Greece, Italy, Spain, and now France, who have debt problems. They have borrowed too much money over the years, and now in the case of Greece, they've defaulted on their debts. They've said, hey, everybody that's loaned us these billions of euros over the years, we're only going to pay you back 50 cents on the dollar. As Europe looks bad and their troubles look bad over there, money moves out of Europe and into the United States. All of a sudden, even though we have our own deficit problems here in this country, debt that is denominated in dollars looks good by comparison to those weak countries in Europe. So we've had a recent dose of that. There's been articles recently and developments in the paper where the Greek government has raised taxes, cut spending, but now they're kicking those politicians out of office. And there's a threat that maybe they're going to be able to keep up with that kind of belt tightening over there. That fans the flames of concern in Europe again. Bad news over there is good for interest rates over here. The other primary factor is the relative weakness or strength of the U.S. economy. So we've had periods of time where employment looks like it's going well. You read the headlines that, oh, we had 200,000 jobs created or 250,000 jobs. It looks like the economy is back on the mend. Well, then all of a sudden we get some reports that show weakness, either in consumer spending or jobs or overall growth in the economy. And we've had kind of a confluence of both elements, both the domestic economy delivering some bad news and the European debt situation come together. And that's what's driving us to these record low rates right now. Hey, Brian, one thing from my perspective, I believe people should lock in now that rates are so low. And you talk to a lot of economists, they're predicting we're going to see some ugly inflation in the future. I believe locking into a long-term low interest rate really takes advantage of that. But I know you talk to five different people, you'll get five different opinions on what the right mortgage is to have. Should they have a five-year arm, a 10-year arm, a 15-year fix, 10-year fix, 30-year fix? You hear all these different options floating around out there. What's your perspective, Brian? What do you see most people doing and what do you think people should be looking at? It's a highly individualized decision, but I can tell you for sure what we're seeing on the front lines of mortgage lending right now. Over the past six months, let's say from the fall of 2011, now well into 2012, when fixed rate mortgages have been truly at record low rates, we see the vast majority of people picking either a 30-year, a 20-year, a 15-year or a 10-year fixed rate. So the incidence of people selecting an adjustable rate mortgage, like a five-year arm or a seven-year arm, is way down. 
a five or seven year arm can be a great tool for somebody who knows that they're going to be retiring, let's say, and moving south to a warmer climate. Why pay for a 30 year fixed rate loan if you know you're going to sell your house in three? But that is a limited set of people. So let's talk about the subset of folks. I'm going to say 90% of people are taking some form of fixed rate loan. We are surprised at the number of people in today's market that are selecting the shorter terms, like the 15-year or the 10-year. I think that the generally weak economic climate we've seen in the last three or four years has given people the emotional or psychological incentive to want to pay down their debt. But let me give you the kind of plus and minus of that strategy. If you look at a 15-year fixed, even though the rate might be three quarters of a percent or a half percent lower than a 30-year fixed, the payment is going to be about 35% higher. Just to give a simple example, if you're looking at a $1,000 payment on a 30-year fixed for a certain loan amount, to move to a 15-year, the payment's going to be about $1,350, just as a general rule of thumb. Well, you're going to save a lot of interest if you go with a shorter term, like a 15-year. But you are then committed to that payment. You can't all of a sudden one day say, hey, I can't afford it anymore because you know, I've had a temporary disability or one of the borrowers has lost their job or been laid off. So the downside to committing to that shorter term is you are committed for the full 15 years in this example to that higher payment. What I think sometimes people forget is they can take their 30-year fixed rate and they can pay it on a schedule so that they'll have it paid off in 15 years. And so a lot of times when we point out that flexibility, that might get some folks to think, you know, that might be good for me. Or it gives them the flexibility perhaps to divert money from their monthly budget to save for college, let's say, or to save more money for retirement. So those are kind of the pluses and minuses of the shorter term versus the longer term fixed rate. But we are seeing about half of our clients pick the shorter term mortgages. I appreciate you pointing out that it's a very individual circumstance that should drive their decision, but it's also interesting as we as financial advisors deal with every day is many times the decision ends up allowing emotions to get involved because like you said of the current economic environment, people are saying, you know, I know people are losing their homes in this circumstance, so if I can pay it off faster, at least I know I have that. And it's sad because that environment, the current scenario, really it's the best time to lock in long-term rates, especially if it comes at the expense of funding the kids' education or paying off higher interest debt or funding your retirement. So definitely work with a qualified planner and make sure that it's customized for your needs. Brian, imagine at this point, most transactions are really focused towards the refi market versus new home purchases. So tell us some of the obstacles that people are facing today in refinancing. The number one obstacle I think that people are facing is declining home values. If they did their most recent transaction, let's say in 2008, and their house was worth $300,000, and now it's worth two hundred dollars in the current environment, that's the number one obstacle. And of course, that varies greatly from market to market. And what people often refer to as the sand states like Nevada, Arizona, and Florida, certainly those are the markets that have been hit the hardest in terms of property values. The government's Home Affordable Refinance Program is the first tool that should be considered there. In order to qualify for that program, the person's current loan has to be guaranteed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, which we talked about earlier. A person can look that up on their own by going to the government's website at makinghomeaffordable.gov. That's makinghomeaffordable.gov. And you can click on a couple of links there and find out if Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac is, in fact, the guarantor of your loan. The second thing is, in order to qualify for that HARP loan, the Home Affordable Refinance Program, which the miracle of that program, by the way, allows you to refinance even though you may have negative equity. 
meaning your loan balance is greater than the current value of your house. And if your loan didn't need the private mortgage insurance on it, on the prior transaction that you did, let's just keep using that example back in 2008, you won't be required to get private mortgage insurance on the new loan either. So it's really a terrific program if you qualify for it. So the other big caveat there is you have to have gotten your most recent loan prior to May of 2009. Those are the two big caveats for qualifying for the Home Affordable Refinance Program. So the appraisal is the number one barrier. Another thing that I think surprises people is that assets don't make up for income. Under the new Dodd-Frank financial services law, that is now the law of the land, mortgage lenders can no longer make loans to people based on assets. It has to be based on verifiable income. And so we've had examples, Tony and Jim, where people come to us and they say, literally, I have $3 million in my retirement account, but I'm 58 years old. And right now I'm living off my non-retirement assets. I'd like to refinance. It cannot be done because they don't have current income. They're using their assets to pay their monthly living expenses. So that doesn't come up very often, but I think it's important for people to realize we have to have documentable income now in order to qualify for a loan. The third thing that I would say is an obstacle to refinancing is the presence of a second mortgage or a home equity line of credit. And the reason why that's important is when you go to refinance, you're getting a new first mortgage. Well, if you have a second mortgage in place, that second lien holder, whether it's a home equity line of credit or a fixed rate loan, has to give permission for a new first mortgage to be put into place. The mortgage lingo word for that is subordination. And so depending on how much equity you do or don't have in your home based on a current appraisal, that second mortgage lender may not allow the new first mortgage refinance to be put in place. So those would be my top three things. Brian, one question I have, you talked about having to have verifiable income. Is that only in the Fannie Mae or Ginny Mae area, or is that for any loan? That's for any mortgage loan. So uh, banks are being loan. regulated to that? Everybody's being regulated to that. Banks, non-banks, if you're giving a mortgage loan to somebody today under Dodd-Frank, you have to make sure that they can afford to pay it back. And that's a pendulum swing. It's ridiculous if you stop and think about it from a logical standpoint. Why wouldn't you lend $100,000 to a person that has $3 million in assets? The answer is because the pendulum is swung too far back in the other direction, in my opinion and the opinion of lots of other people. Well, I would tend to agree with that. It sounds like some reason for somebody to write to their senators, maybe, and think about that a little bit differently. One other question I have, and I don't know if you're familiar, you talked about the HARP program, but there's also programs for veterans for refinancing. I don't know if you're familiar with that as well, but there's also an easy process for them if they're finding themselves maybe a little bit underwater with home values, but an opportunity to perhaps take advantage of these lower rates. Sure. The general idea, this is true at both the VA, the Veterans Administration, and the FHA, which is the Federal Housing Authority, they're already on the hook guaranteeing these loans. The role of the VA, of FHA, of Fannie and Freddie, and the private mortgage insurance companies is that if there is a loss to the ultimate investor in the loan caused by foreclosure, each of those entities is going to make up that loss to the investor. The logic is clear. If they're already on the risk for a particular loan, why wouldn't they want to see that borrower in a better financial position with a lower payment? And so everybody is trying to make that happen. Where people are getting caught is, you know, a lot of the exotic loans that were done in the mid-2000s where the borrower did not have to prove any income in contrast to today's standards. Those loans were packaged together and they're not guaranteed by anybody. 
They're just parts of mortgage pools that were sold on Wall Street all over the world. And those people are not eligible for any kind of extreme refinance because there's no large entity that is calling the shots. Before in your commentary, you were mentioning appraisals, and boy, things have definitely changed in that world. So tell us what's changed in the appraisal world and also the latest on home values. In general, the home values are going up in some markets in the country, but generally, if you look at indexes like the Case-Shiller Index, they're still headed downward, at least in the top 20 metropolitan areas in America. Relative to the appraisals, the big thing that's changed is on a refinance, nobody, not the lender, not the homeowner, no one can mention to the appraiser what they need, want, or think the home value is or should be. The appraisers have become extremely independent. And again, that's because of perhaps the sins of the past where they were bringing in values, quote, to order. Now, pendulum has swung the other way. You cannot breathe a word about what the value is. And once they come up with their valuation, it's very, very hard to have them change their mind. So that's the big change. You can't even call up an appraiser anymore and say, hey, what do you think the Silbernagel house is worth? They are prohibited from giving that opinion. You can't even ask the question. Well, the dynamics have definitely changed and they'll probably continue to change. And I'm sure post-election, we'll see all different kinds of things happening. So you've been a great resource for our listeners. And Brian, I think with the dynamics changing so fast and the sluggish markets, we only hope it's up from here. We would definitely look forward to touching base with you again. Thanks again for having me on the show. I look forward to our next visit. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.